Are you looking for a new job? Are you hiring but can't find diverse, talented candidates? Look no further because we are here to help you out. Head on over to revisionpath.com forward slash jobs where you can browse job listings, post your own jobs, and sign up for email updates when new job listings are posted. This week on the job board, American Express is looking to fill the following roles. UX writer, senior UX designer, senior mobile product designer, and a design manager for their mobile product design team. All positions are looking for candidates in New York City, although the senior UX designer, senior mobile product designer, and design manager positions are open to remote candidates. The senior mobile product designer position is also looking for candidates in Phoenix, Arizona. Posting for our job board starts at just $99, way less than many other design job boards. And for an additional fee, you can have your listing advertised here on the podcast and reach tens of thousands of listeners. Make sure to head over to revisionpath.com forward slash jobs for more information on these listings and others. Get started with us and expand your job search or recruiting efforts today. Revisionpath.com forward slash jobs. You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Revision Path. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm your host, Maurice Cherry. Now, you've heard me talk about the 10th Collective. Uh, The 10th Collective is an initiative that is from Revision Path and from State of Black Design. And we came together to make this initiative because we both get approached by a lot of companies that are looking for black designers. You know, I mentioned this, I think maybe an episode or two ago, but this sort of time period right now in September, they call it the September surge because the fiscal years for a lot of companies begin. And so companies start looking at hiring as they begin their fiscal year also to try to prep for the holidays and such like that. So if you're looking for work, uh, the 10th Collective is a great resource for you. Like I said, we want to do this so we can pair black designers with companies that are looking to hire black designers. It's free to join the 10th Collective. There's just a short profile that you have to fill out and you're all set. You'll only get contacted by companies when they're ready to talk to you. And you can hide your profile from companies or remain completely anonymous. It's a great resource whether you're looking for your next opportunity like I am or you already have a gig and maybe you just want to see what else is out there. You can even hide your profile from your employer or from any other companies as well. Head on over to the 10th collective.com to join, or you can check out the link in the show notes. This episode of Revision Path is brought to you by Hover. Building your online brand has never been more important, and that begins with your domain name. Show the online community who you are and what you're passionate about with Hover. With over 400 plus domain extensions to choose from, including all the classics and fun niche extensions, Hover is the only domain provider I use and trust. So what are you waiting for? Go to hover.com forward slash revision path and get 10% off your first purchase. Now for this week's interview, I'm talking with Jordan Taylor, a designer at Pentagram in New York City. Let's start the show. All right. So tell us who you are and what you do. I'm Jordan Taylor. I'm a graphic designer at Pentagram. Work on a lot of different projects, mostly branding, but 
a fair share of editorial and motion design, a few websites here and there. How has the year been going so far? My year has been pretty great. I recently moved to a new place for the first time. I'm now living out in Brooklyn, New York. I moved up here for work and, you know, it's been a chance to like go on new adventures, see different things, meet new people. It's Mm -hmm. been pretty interesting. A lot of changes. When you sort of look at the year in general where we're at now, you know, we're recording this right now in August, like mid-August. Is there anything that you want to accomplish before the year ends? Oh, I'd say that right now, like I'm kind of in a place where I'm trying to like figure out what my next thing is. One of the things I really want to accomplish for the year is over is starting to like make those steps toward whatever that looks like, whether it's like an expression of self or like new business endeavors, just like starting to really like get back into more like self-activated things like uh I don't know. You know how they say, like, you kind of are always going to kind of need to fall a couple times when you're on your journey somewhere. I'm ready to kind of start, like, taking those baby's first steps toward whatever, like, new horizon I'm heading toward. I feel like I'm in that kind of place. Okay. Now, you're at Pentagram, which is a, like, extremely, extremely well-known design consultancy. Talk to me about that. Yeah, I... (laughs) Yeah, Pentagram is, it's so many things. Like, uh, I, like I'm there now. I've been working there coming up on two years in September. When I started, it was as a, a remote position. I started as an intern, but I was working from home, still down in Atlanta. The journey there was just so unexpected. I just didn't think that it was like a place I was going to get to. You know, like uh, when I started like really diving into design, you know, you kind of like get introduced to different ways of doing things and like what brand design looks like and who the kind of designers to know are and you find out about different names and you kind of end up finding out about Pentagram. And it just is a crazy experience to like walk in there and like actually see these people in person and not from like even like a crowd for like some sort of forum that they're putting on. It's It's been really interesting just like even beyond like the partners, you have all the people like working there on the different teams and you find out like how a team works and like how they approach projects and different ways that people think it's like a big incubator. It's a it's really been like the way I got there was so much so of just like putting my head down because it was like the middle of the pandemic and like just trying to get to the best place I could after leaving school. So in a way, like, I don't always, like, fully take it in, but in those moments that I do, it just really, like, kind of hits me. And it's like, oh, like, I'm, like, actually in here every day, if that makes sense. It's a lot of work, but it's also <laughs> a lot of just, like, air of ridiculousness to me. It's like, oh, like, it's actually, I mean, like, worked out to this level. You it know? sounds like it's hard to put into words. I mean, you're, I'm, I'm kind of listening to you stammer to talk about it, but, I mean, I can imagine you've got, you know, such design heavyweights, like, you know, Michael Beirut and Paula Schur and Eddie O'Para, whom we've had on the show, episode 234. People want to check that out. But yeah, like I can imagine having that much, I guess, the weight of it all is probably a lot to think about from your perspective. Mm-hmm. And then at the same time, like I still have like work to do every day. Like I still have like four or five projects to work on. Yeah. Um, so it's a balancing act. You try to like make yourself known and like reach and like get to know people. But at the same time, you're still trying to, like, keep the main thing the main thing and 
I guess, to do the work that got you there. So, And you've done that. I mean, you've done the work that got you there. It's not like you just walked in off the street into Pentagram. Like you said, you had your head down working and we'll get more into your background and your story. But like you deserve to be there. No, absolutely. Yeah. I say all these things about like how it feels to be there, but I don't think I ever like really felt I didn't belong. Maybe just that like I didn't expect for anybody to like actually figure that out, if that makes sense. Mm. What does a typical day look like for you? At Pentagram. A typical day for me, when I first started there as an intern, one of the big things that I was really kind of aware of was that, like, I was probably not going to understand how anything worked. So I would reach out to my mentors, one of which was uh, Louis Michelet. He used to work at Collins. Now he's at Apple. I reached out to John Ferguson and McCoy Smith. I just kind of like asked them, you know, like you all are professionals, you all are like in this design world. Like, how do you actually keep track of all the things that you're supposed to do in a day? Like, how do you know how much time to allocate to a project? If you've got multiple projects going on, how do you know, like when to start the day or when to end the day? Because it was it was working from home and like starting out, like everything was a little too soft for me. Long story short, I got into like making to do lists to start the day or sometimes I make one to like fill out the whole week if I knew what the week had coming ahead of me. After that, it really depends on the day-to-day, like uh, what point I'm at in the week, but I'll usually try and get the smaller projects out of the way or like the little things or just kind of check my emails and make sure that like nobody's kind of hit me with a curveball before I really get my day started. And from there, I collaborate with my team to make sure that I know like what their expectations are for the day and then it's it's kind of like working things out like if i am on like a magazine project like netflix q it may be a lot of concept and so it'll be like we're building a deck to introduce to the client and then from there you might break away from that side of it and go to the print side and you're coming up with different concepts and directions so you're doing a lot of art directing but then right after that i might have to like create like animation assets for a branding project where we're trying to activate the brand for a presentation. So it's a lot of like flipping switches is what I call it. It's a lot of like flip this on, flip that off, go over here, do this. And then you kind of just end up at six o'clock. And that's the day. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You kind of, I guess, touched on some of the projects you're working on. You mentioned this magazine, Netflix Q, like what, what kind of other projects and stuff are you working on? The projects I'm working on right now, I can't really speak about. Some other projects I have worked on before, we did like a wonderful rebrand for a college out in Pennsylvania who that was transitioning into university status called Moravian University. I worked on a tech brand who was building out like a whole kind of workspace system of, along along the blockchain. So like you really had like ownership of your information called Skiff. Mm-hmm. I also work on the ACLU magazine that comes out twice a year. So it's a wide range. And then there's like, you know, things that I help out with in spots here or there. So you're doing like print projects, digital projects, kind of a little bit of everything. It sounds like. Yeah. A lot of flipping those switches, mm. <laughs> you know, and then, and within those, you know, like, the Netflix magazine has a digital arm and a print arm. So I'm on both of those. So 
Nice. Um, sometimes we might have to create like a, a cover animation for the website. And then, you know, you also have to create print stories I and mean, like build out those assets. So you like your vision for the brand, like in all these different kind of formats. And it's uh, it's all happening at the same time. Mm-hmm. Whereas with the ACLU magazine is strictly print, but it involves a lot of like art direction. So I'm commissioning illustrators. I'm commissioning photographers. I mean, I'm we're like staying on the pulse of what's going on with the Supreme Court to find out like what their rulings are going to be before the next issue. And then, you know, with like something like Moravian, you just got old fashioned like uh, branding. So you're building out like color systems and, and typography and things like that. I mean, it sounds exciting to be able to use your skills to sort of bounce from project to project in that way. One of the last big creative projects I worked on actually was also a print and digital magazine for my former employer, because I just got laid off. But <laughs> for my former employer, I was putting together a print and digital magazine. And like the first issue's out, the second issue, actually, the second issue was ready the day they laid our whole team off. So I don't know if the second issue will even see the light of day, even though it's literally at the printer on the shelf. Mm-hmm. Don't know if Exclusive. anyone's ever going to see it. Limited edition. Right. And the third issue we were in the middle of working on, which was actually going to be on like Web3 stuff. We commissioned illustrators. We had all the same things you were mentioning, writers, all that kind of stuff. Don't know if that one is ever going to happen. So like, I love the magazine thing because it was my first time ever working on something like that. I would love mm-hmm. to do more things like that. It just seems like with two things with Pentagram, one, you get to work on so many different types of projects. And two, I guess because Pentagram just has this, like, to me, maybe not to other people, but to me, it sort of has like this untouchable, I don't want to say cult status because its name happens to be Pentagram, but it's sort of one of those things like, no, don't apply to us. We will choose you to work for us, like that sort of thing. I don't know if that's just part of the mystique of Pentagram, but I like Um, that. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I conflict on that. So, like, uh a bit of how I actually ended up finding the position. I had joined like the, uh, where the black designers Slack channel, like, Oh, uh, okay. Created. Yeah. And, Mitzi. Um, yeah. One of the project managers at Pentagram, like posted the opening and I was like, Oh, like this is crazy. I don't, I didn't even know they did this. And you know, like the week kind of went along and I was like, Oh, should I do it? Should I not? And like, I applied through there, but like, that's not, usually how it happens and it's, it's it's something that pentagram is trying to get better about is like you know kind of like casting a wider net and you know like bringing in more perspectives i don't know like i like uh, the the idea of like that kind of exclusivity it creates the mystique you know but like i i feel like in a world where we're starting to you know just kind of like keep reconsidering these ideas of diversity and inclusion it's like when you're at the top and you think you know what's best. You don't really allow anyone else to like kind of come in from the outside and like influence and like keep you there. You're just kind of like moving off of, I don't know. I feel like it makes it easier for you to kind of like lose sight of what's actually going on around you. If you're not like actually like interacting with the people, so to speak. Hmm. I get what you're saying. I totally get that because I think a lot of agencies probably have that same sort of problem. Like, yes, they want to have, a level of exclusivity with the work, but I guess they don't want to appear like they're for everybody, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. It's a tough balance, which I get. 
like just as a person who was like who felt like they were on the outside looking in and very much based on what what I have like come to find out just like being in the workplace is not like a common way of like finding out about openings there. Like I just would hate to like for the, like the other person who's trying to like, who's like in that same position and just like, wasn't on the Slack channel that day or that week. Right. They just missed out. Yeah. And they're like, just as good as I am. Like, I just think about stuff like that and I'm like, Oh, that's like, it conflicts me a lot. Hmm. Well, let's kind of switch gears here a little bit. I want you to remain conflicted in the interview, but because this is about you and about your skill. Like I said, you deserve to be there, certainly. You know, let's switch gears here. Let's talk about you. Tell me where you grew up. I grew up uh, 30 miles east, straight down I-20 from Atlanta, Georgia, in Lithonia. It's a kind of a black suburb. It's a pretty decent place to live. It was a lot quieter until... Atlanta's always constantly growing and expanding, so people started <laughs> moving out there a lot more. But I was out there since I was two years old, like 96, and then I moved out of the Atlanta area last October. I spent a lot of time out there just, like, deep in that culture, like, moving around town, making friends. Um, yeah. I, went, I was a part of the Atlanta public schools system throughout with a little bit of DeKalb County schools and, like, elementary I feel like a country bumpkin sometimes to like being in New York now, but I feel like my experience, like in my, you know, kind of neck of the woods was so interesting. Like I just got to see so many different things and like so many different ways to like live out my blackness, I guess. Like, you know, my whole family is from the Atlanta area. So it just was a really warm, just kind of loving experience the whole time. I miss it a lot. So I think about it every day. I mean, you grew up in Atlanta, you know, during a time. I mean, that to me feels like peak Atlanta, like the Olympics, Freaknik 96, that whole time. I came to Atlanta in 99. So like right after that. But I'm from Alabama. I'm from Selma. So I'm not that far Mm -hmm. from Atlanta. I'm like roughly about three hours. And we would always come to Atlanta every, honestly, like every summer or Every time, I don't know, our class did well on the SATs or something, it was always like, we're going to Six Flags. We're going to Six Flags. So I've always been in and around Atlanta and then finally moved here when I was 18. But I know exactly that feeling that you're talking about. And it's something that I'm sort of exploring a little bit because I'm working on a book proposal. And like as I'm working through it, there's such a positive thread of blackness throughout Atlanta that I don't think a lot of people really get. I think people see Atlanta they see the entertainments, they see the music, they see like, oh, it's a really black city. But like, it's a warmth, I think, that a lot of people don't really understand unless you're either from there or you've really lived there for a long time. Right. And it's it's something, I mean, I feel like I got it a, a little bit just from visiting so much, but certainly, you know, my formative years and my teens and not even my teens, but really my late teens and my 20s in Atlanta is just... It's irreplaceable. It's hard to put that feeling into words about this sort of, it's not even so much a, a positive blackness, but as much as every example of excellence that you see around you is black. Right. And I think sometimes that can be hard, even for other black people to see, like depending on where they grew up. But Atlanta really sort of fosters that. And it's not in any sort of weird, supernatural, extraordinary way. It's like excellence is just all around you. Yeah, a very casual blackness. Just like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's such a good way to put it. A very casual black. That's such a good way to put it. 
Yeah. Yeah. Like, and, and for me, like everybody, people are constantly on this like notion of, you know, like blackness is not a monolith. And like, that's kind of what I mean. Like what we're both talking about with like that casual blackness. Like I wouldn't put myself in like a certain frame. Like I always talk to my friends, like we all played sports, but we all like anime. Like we yeah. all ended up doing different jobs and like, it just didn't feel like, you know, like I have friends who are like in the arts, but I also have friends who are like paramedics and I also have friends who are party promoters. There's no division. Yeah. There's no division. I a hundred percent know exactly what you mean. I mean, I went to, I went to Morehouse. So like, I absolutely know of like what that division can definitely look like, but yeah, man, I mean, you grew up here in a great, great, great time period. I I can tell why you miss it. I can definitely tell why. Was art and design kind of a big part of you growing up here? I would say it was, but it was more from a sense of like, it was something that I was just always interested in. And, you know, you get older and you kind of like look back on your life and you realize you were doing things the whole time that like were preparing you for something you didn't even know you were preparing yourself for. So it wasn't more so that like design or like the arts was like constantly around me. Like nobody in my family is like a designer. My mom's a like a, a school counselor. My dad works at the EPA. It was more so that like it was just constantly something that I was interested in. I watched a lot of TV, a lot of Cartoon Network, a lot of Nickelodeon, a lot of Disney, a lot of anime, a lot of Toonami. Those kind of things are what introduced me into the arts and like made me appreciate art a lot more. So I think the first thing I ever tried to draw was Goku on like one of my school notepads. Mm -hmm. And from there, like I kept drawing and drawing and doodling. But it wasn't something that like I really embraced as something that would like ever be a part of my future. Uh, it was more so just like something that I enjoyed and it was an outlet for me and it helped me express something that I really cared about. And then I kind of got opportunities later on in high school to express those things in different ways. Like I knew I had that drawing talent and like my mom would put me into like these uh, art programs over the summer to like kind of like learn more about the technical side. Um, mm -hmm. I did one like in the old fourth ward at this like a uh, at this summer camp where we kind of like we had to choose a discipline. So I went with the drawing one because it was the one that I was the best at. I kind of like got those things, but it was never something that I thought that I was actually ever going to be doing with my life. When I was about to graduate high school, I planned on doing engineering, like focusing on that is like part of my college curriculum because like I said, I was preparing myself for things that I didn't actually know were like available to me. Like I was like, okay, well, I'm good at math and science, but I also want to create things. So yeah. like I don't, and I didn't know how to like express that completely. So my dad mm. was working at the EPA. I was like, oh, he's an engineer. Maybe I'll be an engineer and maybe I'll like get to tinker on things or like build something one day. But it wasn't like something that I was like fully embracing. I definitely went to the high museum way more like during my college days than I ever did during grade school. Mm -hmm. But it sounds like your parents though, at least supported you in that sort of, I guess you could say at that point was a hobby. Was you really liking art and drawing? Like they didn't try to dissuade you from it. No, they never dissuaded me from anything. I think I get a lot of like my laid back kind of attitude from them because they're very much you know they were very much always like as long as i handled what i was supposed to be doing mm -hmm. in school or whatever then 
they would let me do whatever I wanted to, like in the kind of peripheries. Um, yeah. They never really tried to shut me down from anything. And I always appreciate them for that. So you ended up going to Georgia State University. And Atlanta's got some well-known design schools here. I mean, if let's see, if you were trying to think, was Atlanta? No, Atlanta College of Art wasn't around during that time. But I mean, we had Art Institute of Atlanta. I think SCAD was just maybe starting to have their campus here. I don't recall. But there was also things like the Portfolio Center, et cetera. I don't know if Georgia State really is ever in that conversation of like great design schools or curriculums Mm -hmm. in the city. Like, how was your time there? I really enjoyed my time there. So my introduction to Georgia State came a bit later in college. I transferred there. I first off went to Fort Valley State University. It's a HBCU, like an hour south of Macon. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Near Warner Robins. Yep, I'm familiar. Yeah, you know about Fort Valley. I know about Fort Valley. That was where I went because I thought I was going to be engineers. My mom was like, "Okay, like go to this like agricultural school. They have an engineering program. You can do that." And while I was there, I found out more about graphic design. Like I would hear about it here and there, like on the internet, but I didn't know how it worked. And like I found out what Adobe was. I was like, okay, well, like my laptop's not good enough to do any of that kind of stuff. But I ended up taking an elective my second year there, and it was for graphic design. I think our first project was that we had to like create a fake brand, and then we had to make envelopes for the brand. And our teacher taught us how to use the blend tool, and we had to like, like we could use the blend tool if we wanted to, but otherwise, you know, we had to just like come up with something else. A long story short, I got an A in the class and I was like, wait a minute, like I just made something and it felt like art and I got an A and I don't really want to like be an electrical engineer. Like that, <laughs> that's four for four. <laughs> I, I called my mom right before I was like about to like go back home because the semester ended and I was like, hey, like I looked it up, like Georgia State has graphic design program because I think I looked into all those other schools but like I said my mom never stifled me from anything but she always very made me very aware of what like she could and couldn't do so like yeah. I, I knew like she wasn't about to pay for me to go to SCAD so I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> so I called her I was like hey like uh, I got an A in this graphic design class I want to transfer up to Georgia State and like I'm going to major in it. They have a program up there. And she was like, wait a second. It is like the first semester. Could you at least finish the next semester and make sure you want to do this? I was like, no, I got I to gotta go. But she made me finish that next semester. But I spent that whole semester like in my free time, like learning how to use Illustrator. When I finally started, I was so eager. I started taking classes at Georgia State over the summer because I like wanted to get in there and like, cause I, I couldn't use my laptop. I was using the school stuff at Fort Valley to design. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, I don't want to like spend a whole summer not working on this. Cause I don't know what I'm doing. And I don't know how good any of these people in these classes are about to be when I start. So I spent that whole summer in the Georgia state computer lab, just like working on illustrator and Photoshop. I was kind of like, ah, there's kind of too many different ways to do things on there. I'm just going to keep doing illustrator. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I had a great time in Georgia state's graphic design program. I would say to anyone like, you know, that's thinking about it based on, you know, our conversation right now that 
it really helped cement like a lot of the kind of like basics and a lot of the fundamentals of like what design is, how do you approach it? What does it mean to like create like a creative identity? I took a lot of the introductory classes because it's it's broken up into two different sections. So you take the intro classes and then you kind of have to go through a portfolio review to mm-hmm. get to the final stage and actually graduate with a design degree. I didn't make it to that second part <laughs> because I was missing a project. Um, oh, yeah. But I mean, I still like I learned so much from the experience that I knew I could design. They Like they even said it. They were like, some people might not make it. That doesn't mean you're not good. Like there's plenty of people that don't like make it like because the, the, they're so particular and they have such a hard cutoff in terms of the numbers um, mm-hmm. because of like the size of the program right now. They, you know, they really encourage you to keep going. And that's what I did. I, you know, I was like, I know what I'm doing. I know how to like build a brand. I know how to use Illustrator and Photoshop. Like, why not? Like I made all these projects. I didn't do all this for no reason. So I just kind of stuck to it after that and stayed in contact with all my teachers during like from all my introductory classes because they continued to keep their doors open for me. And yeah, I would definitely recommend it. Anybody like going, thinking about going to SCAD or those other um, art schools, I would say to look into Georgia State because their program is really great and they really supported me the entire time. I was going to say, it sounds like they really kind of helped prepare you to get out there and be a designer, even though, like, as you said, you didn't go through and do the project portion of it, but you still came out with enough know-how to know how to be a designer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Now, you enrolled at the Creative Circus a couple of years after you graduated from Georgia State. Though, What made you do that? I enrolled there because after I didn't make it to like the, the second portion of the design program, I continued to like work like I, I started trying to find different outlets for like what I could do. So I was like, OK, I'm not in the program. So I would do things for people here and there. Um, I got a intern position at the Apex Museum, which was like right down the street from the Georgia State campus. It's a black history museum. Mm-hmm. They really gave me a great chance to try and like do my things in actual application and in like step with their own identity. There was just something in the back of my head, like as I kept learning about design and, you know, like learning about Eddie Opar and Michael Beirut and Paula Scher and those kind of people. There was like something beyond that that I didn't really know how to do yet. So like along with those other things that I was doing in terms of like working, I was also trying to like meet more people that were also designing. So like I joined the AIGA student chapter in Atlanta and I ended up meeting one of the teachers at the Creative Circus because the meeting I went to was at the Creative Circus. So I got to see like little bits and pieces before I walked into like our meeting space. I was like, hey, like, is this like an art school? Because I didn't even know what it was. It was like, tucked <laughs> off in the back of. Uh, yeah, it was like off of Cheshire Bridge, tucked in the like off of a back street. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, she was like, yeah, this is an art school. I was like, do you all have like a design program? And she was like, yeah, we have a design program. I'm, it was a uh, Nikita Pope. Yeah, Nikita. love Nikita. She's been on the show before. Yeah. And uh, she's like, yeah, we have a design program. I'm actually one of the, the instructors for it. If you ever want to like come by, I can give you a tour. You can sit in on one of my classes. And she like let me walk around for a bit before I had to leave. And like they have all the work on the walls, like from previous students projects and i saw that stuff and i was like 
I don't know how to do any of this. I was like, I thought I was good <laughs> and I don't know how to do any of this. But like, if they know how to do this, I think I can figure it out. I long story short, I like talked to my mom. I was like, hey, thinking about going back to school. It's going to cost yada, yada, yada. She's like, wait a minute. Like, Stick with me. <laughs> and, you know, that that took some discussing because my parents had already paid for four years of school. So I went there and I, I mean, it, it did what I, what I expected it to. Like it, it took me to a whole nother level in terms of like understanding. And what it really helped me with was like concepting, like being able to like build an idea and then flesh it out graphically in like a multitude of ways. So like what I learned from Georgia State in my introductory classes was that what makes a good logo, like how to pick out typography, things like that, like, you know, like the building blocks. And then when I got to the creative circus, they really pushed like those different levels of like self-expression and uh, leaving no stone unturned when you're trying to tell the story of something. So it, it all came together to like put together the picture. Yeah. And for folks that, that don't know or haven't heard of the Creative Circus, it's this private for-profit college, recently closed its doors, which is such a big loss to the Atlanta yeah. design community. I hope they come back one day. But yeah, the Creative Circus, Nikita Pope, who you mentioned as an instructor there, I think I've been there a couple of times. I know I remember seeing, I think it was Douglas Davis had had given a talk there when he was doing his book tour for his book about creative strategy and the the business of design. And like Nikita and Douglas knew each other because they both went to Hampton, although I don't know if they went at the same time or not. But yeah, the Creative Circus, great, great resource to the city. Sad that it's closed. But no, it sounds like you got what you needed from there. And you also have interned at a few places in Atlanta. You mentioned Apex over on Auburn Avenue. Uh, you interned at the Mammal Gallery, which is downtown Atlanta. You interned at Metro Fresh Uptown. These are kind of three somewhat different types of design experiences, it seems like. What did each of those places really teach you? Yeah, they were so interesting looking back on them. I, um, it was very much like I was still in that phase of trying to like scrounge together like different experiences any way I could. Like I, I was out of college and I just had to kind of dive into things that I was interested in. I was like, you know, I love my people. Let's go to the apex. I was like, mm-hmm. The Mammal Gallery back then, I'm not even sure if the Mammal Gallery is still open, but they they used to put on like concerts where they would bring in like, you know, these underground performers or like these kind of like emerging artists. Mm-hmm. And I was really into that because that was like the mixtape era and SoundCloud era. So I was like, hey, like I love this place. Like, let me ask if they need a graphic designer because, you know, everybody needs a graphic designer. Yeah. And then with Metro Fresh Uptown, that was kind of like a taking something that I needed and trying to bring something that I wanted into it. So I got the job because I needed a job because I was like working. I was like at the creative circus. I made it past the first quarter and it was time for me to like try and figure out how to keep paying to be there. I've done a lot of food service jobs and um, I kind of like picked that one up because I had heard about, I don't even remember how I heard about the opening, but I'm not going to dwell on that. And because they were, I was working at, a new location for them. I was like, Hey, like, do you all need signage? Do you need like somebody to like draw murals? Do you need somebody to make pamphlets for you to pass out in this office building? Like I could do all that stuff. And Mm -hmm. um, it kind of worked out from there. Uh, But it kind of like prepared me for 
what I would do, like the the next internship that I was in for a really long time, because it gave me a chance to like kind of be a part of something mm-hmm. and know like what the identity was and how to like bring that out in their graphic language. Yeah. And that that other place that you're talking about, that's Atlanta Contemporary. And you mm-hmm. were there for pretty much almost five years. That's a really long time. Like, talk to me yeah. about what that experience was like. I love the Atlantic Contemporary. I, I, I talk about the place all the time. Uh, for anybody who's listening and is in the Atlanta area, it's free every day. I think they're only closed on Sundays. They might be closed on Mondays now, but they're definitely closed on Sundays. And it's a, um, it's a contemporary art space, but it's also like an art center. So, you know, they do a lot of events where they bring in the community and, you know, they have children's events. They do weddings things, all that kind of stuff. But it was like that kind of last step in like finding things that I was interested in. I was like, okay, so like I worked at, you know, a black history museum. I've done things for a music space, worked at like I've done things for restaurants. Like what else am I interested in? I was like, oh, well, like if I could ever get a job at a museum, that would be really cool. It's like if I could ever like actually like make graphics for something like based in the arts, that would be incredible. So I, I like went around to all the spots that you can think of. I went to the High Museum. I went to MoCA. I went to the Atlanta History Center. I was just like Googling these places and then I would like spend the day and like go to them. And eventually I, I went to the Atlanta Contemporary. I was like, oh, like, do you all have any openings? They were like, no, we already have a graphic designer. I was like, oh, well, okay. Like, do you do internships? They were like, yeah. I was like, do you do the interns do any graphic design? They said, no. It's like, well, like if I intern, could I do some graphic design? And they were like, <laughs> you were trying, you were trying to get in there. Yeah. And they were like, I mean, maybe sure. <laughs> um, so I, I kind of just took those opportunities wherever I could get them. You know, like it was a chance for me to interact with the community because like, you know, people would come in and like for a different exhibit exhibition openings and, People would have like the artist talks there and things. They had a whole pavilion in the back where they like housed like certain artists within their studios. So I got to interact with there, but that was cool. But then like here and there, you know, like if they had an event, they like, hey, like Jordan, could you make could you make some signage? Like, hey, Jordan, could you make like a flyer? Hey, Jordan, like, could you do the vinyl descriptions for the artwork this month? It would trickle in slowly and like they I would kind of like built up like a rapport with everybody that I was like capable of doing these things. And then it turned into like a full time position after that. When I got that chance to do that, because the previous graphic designer had actually moved to New York because I had been there so long, I kind of like recommended different ways of kind of going about how they express themselves, like with their social assets and things like that. I was like, hey, like, I feel like this could speak a lot more clearly to like what you all actually have going on here it's so interesting and and fun here like i think that this could be expressed a different way so it was a it was a chance for me to kind of like build a proposal and then from there it really bled into a lot of things like i was creating their monthly social posts i was creating like special animated assets whenever they had like a special event going on. I was doing their event graphics. I was doing the wayfinding within the museum or within the art space, excuse me. And then I was also still like doing the vinyl descriptors for the exhibitions also. And I even got to like help with one of the art 
pieces one time. They had this mantra that they wanted to put on the wall, but the guy walked in with just like it written, like typed out from a typewriter on a piece of paper. And he was like, <laughs> I want it to look exactly like this, but on the wall. I was like, well, like, <laughs> aren't you the artist? You don't know how to do that. It's like, <laughs> um, but, you know, that was a chance to like really collaborate with the artist and like get their vision across. But then also, you know, I had to collaborate with the kind of like more practical people, the, like vinyl makers and figure out how I could create his vision and make it make sense to them. It's like the go between. So it was a lot. I mean, I met a lot of incredible people, just like a invaluable experience. It, it pops back up every time I'm trying to do something like whenever when I earlier when I talked about like flipping those switches. That was the first place where I really had to flip switches. Like, you know, I might animate, but I might be doing social stuff, but I might be making like a, a visitor's brochure. So sounds like you really spread your wings there, like creatively you got to do a lot of different things. Yeah, it was a, because of like the nature of the space as a contemporary art space. You know, it was very open to like kind of like new ways of doing things or new approaches, you know, like they had their shareholders or their investors that you kind of had to like run things by in the final round. But all in all, you know, it was very, like you said, a great experience to kind of like spread my wings and figure things out on the fly. Now you're currently in New York. Of course, that's for work for Pentagram. But I'm curious when you think of your time here as a designer in Atlanta, like what was the design community and scene like for you? Like how would you describe it maybe to someone outside of Atlanta? I would say the design scene here or in Atlanta, I'm not there anymore. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's a lot broader than you think it is. Like there's a lot of incredible people just kind of like you got to kind of you got to kind of like get in there. But once you get in there, like there's a lot of amazing people out there like doing their thing, making their way. And what makes it different from what I've encountered so far up here in New York, you know, New York is very much like a design city. It's like, you know, like, oh, like the subway system and this and that but in atlanta what i really liked about the community out there is like everyone was very much so like making a way for themselves and like finding their pocket or their niche and figuring things out and the community comes together for different things like aiga events and stuff i would say the aiga is a good way to kind of like find out what people are doing and kind of like find your group or what you're most interested in but everyone out there was being really resourceful or like everyone out there had like found their groove. They knew how to work it through all the ups and downs. Like um, one of my mentors, his name was Joe Price. Oh, I know um, Joe. You know Joe? Yeah. yeah great. He he was freelance, but he had been freelancing for so long when I met him. Like mm -hmm. he just, you know, was constantly like, he's so good at like rolling with the punches. Even like during the pandemic, he, he just knew how to figure things out. But at the same time, because it's such like a more kind of like, non-mainstream thing to be a designer i guess mm -hmm. he's so quirky even though he kind of i don't think he thinks he is like you know like uh, <laughs> joe like, has pet squirrels and like he yeah uh, <laughs> his workspace it's like a little nook in his backyard that's mm -hmm. just like full of different kind of like design ephemera just all over the place it's it's uh, just stacks of books on books on books it's it's really incredible so I think it's pretty great, but you kind of got to get in there. Like, yeah. You're not just going to kind of get swept up in it. You got to get into it. Yeah. Joe gave me the coolest piece of like, 
I guess, design swag or ephemera that like I've ever gotten from anyone. But I mean, I've been to conferences and I've talked to people all around the world. This was years and years ago. No one else has ever given me anything this cool. And it is, you're going to laugh at this. It's a beverage koozie, like, you know, like you put on cans. Yeah. But it's a paper bag. So like, you know, like when you get a, like a, like you see like folks on the corner get a, a 40 or whatever and they drinking it right out the paper bag. Right. It's a paper bag koozie and it's actually a bag. Like you put the can, like a regular 12 ounce can, like you put it in the bag and it's got his logo on it. Mm-hmm. It is the coolest thing I have ever gotten from any designer anywhere. That's and I've gotten incredible. posters, books, figurines, this little, and like the thing is I can't find it anywhere. Like, I don't know where Joe got those from. I don't know where he got those printed. The website on the bottom of it no longer exists. <laughs> but like, it, like I still have it. Like, it's it's in my silverware drawer in my kitchen. It is the one, like, coolest piece of design ephemera I ever got. It's just a, a paper bag koozie. Like, it's paper bag on the outside, but it's insulated on the inside. And you just put a drink in, and then you feel like you're drinking out of a paper bag. It's the coolest thing. No, that sounds amazing. I never heard about it. I, I'm gonna have to ask him about it because that that sounds incredible. It, and it's all crinkled and like you put yeah. it in a paper bag, and it's like you know, not that. And like from a distance, someone will think like you're just drinking out like a small paper bag or something. But like, no, it's a beverage koozie. It's so cool. It's so cool. <laughs> Did you feel like there were any sort of particular challenges that you had to face here as a designer that you might not be facing in New York? I think the main one is just that like. Like I said, it's not like a super like it's just not as popular of a career path, I guess, in Atlanta. So, it, you know, like when it came time for me to find like a career path or like find a job or a gig, it was it was a little difficult. Like I, I found myself kind of like ending up in the, like at the same spots whenever I would try and like find different avenues. So like uh, like I spent the amount of times that I applied to Turner Broadcasting <laughs> would shock and appall you <laughs> like i i applied to that place so many times throughout college like after college i was constantly like adult swim cartoon network uh tnt blah mm-hmm. blah blah it was like so many times and then you know like as i got more into the design community i found out more about like different places that were available or even like design um shops like matchstick and and so forth but I just think that like there just aren't as many options as there might be up in New York. But, you know, mm-hmm. there, like I said, like when you meet more people in the community, everyone's kind of like figured out their way and like found their kind of niche and how to move in the space. But for me starting out, it was a little there wasn't as much of a depth of options as I thought there were going to be. Did you ever get an interview with Turner? No, I never got past like the video interview part. <laughs> I got I did like the submitted questionnaire and then like one time I got the to do a video interview, but never actually got to go there in person and like sit down with anybody. You've got a line in your bio that says your approach to design is similar to one of your patented long walks around town. What does that mean? Okay, it's not like a long walks on the beach type of thing. It's actually like a connection. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Unpack that for me. Like I said, like I was kind of like when I moved back to Atlanta after Fort Valley and like I decided to become a designer, like 
I would have to go into the city. So like for five years, I was like going into the city every day from my house in Latonia. So I was taking public transit. I was taking MARTA every day. I would get on the bus. This might be too granular for your wide audience, but I would go to Indian Creek and then I would take the train into the city and then I would either have to walk or take another bus wherever else I was going. So like doing that constantly is what I mean by those long, patented long walks. And what I mean when I say that my design is like similar to those is that if you spend enough time like on the ground, like just walking everywhere, you're going to see some interesting things. You're going to you're going to appreciate more of like what's going on around you because you're kind of like transitioning from like a more forested area because there's so many trees in the Atlanta area to like, you know, you go through the urban areas and, you know, you're like passing by restaurants, you're passing by clubs, you're passing by all these different things. You see a lot of weird stuff. You see a lot of interesting things. You might see some not so great things, but it all like leaves an impact. I think that's what I mean when I say it's like my patented long walks on the beach. So like things might get a little weird. You know, I might like try and take some some interesting kind of like left turns here or there. But it's all like for the sake of like giving that impact. Like I want you to feel like you're actually like a part of the journey. I want you to feel like a story is being told to you. I want you to feel like there's a lot of meaning and like purpose behind what's going on here because like I wouldn't be here right now if I like didn't like have that sense of purpose to get up, like leave my house and like go out do all these different things every day. Like when I was when I was going to find my different internships, I walked there. When I was going to school at the Creative Circus, I walked there. I mean, and by walking, I mean it included public transit, but like my feet were on the ground. I was like I hear you back and forth. It's weird. It's fun. It's got a lot of purpose behind it. I feel like that's how I design. As you started saying that, uh, for some reason, that just reminded me of like the first verse of Elevators from Outcast. Mm-hmm. We're talking about taking Martyr through the hood, trying to find the hookup. Caught the '86 Lithonia headed to Decatur. You the know, '86. I, I I rode the '86. <laughs> that was my that was my bus. My bus was the '13. Because I went to Morehouse and I was living in the West. Well, I wasn't living in the West End when I was at Morehouse, unless it was on campus. But like, I used to live in Buckhead in the Darlington before the Darlington got run down. And now it's like multi-million dollar condos or whatever. It used to be the 23. Now it's the 110. But I take the 23 to, to Art Center. I take Art Center to Five Points, take the 13 from there. And it puts you off right at the like strip of like Fair Street and Brawley. James P. Brawley, which is like the Clark Atlanta strip. And I just, that was class every day. I remember it fondly. I have not ridden the 13 in years, but like, I remember that very fondly. Yeah, no, I, I feel the same way. Whenever I go back home and I I see that bus, when you know, like I go visit my mom or whatever, it's a mm-hmm. very funny feeling. <laughs> just like, oh, like that used to be my life. Like, yeah. You know, just like I, I spent plenty of days like running that thing down. So Oh, me too. <laughs> running down the 13. Because, you know, I mean, people that are not in Atlanta don't know this, but like the buses are terrible. There's oh, yeah. only a few that are fairly reliable. Like the 13 is pretty reliable. The 23, which is now the 110. The 6 to Emory is pretty reliable. I would imagine the 86 is probably pretty reliable, too. But like 
a lot of in-town buses, like, good luck. If you miss it, you're waiting 30, 40 minutes for the next bus. It's yeah. ridiculous. No, absolutely. I mean, the 86, it came. But, <laughs> well, I, but, you know, like, I wouldn't say it's, like, super reliable because, like, I would have to show up 10 minutes early or I'm going to be an hour late because, like you said, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, it, yeah. Might, it might show up on time. It might show up 10 minutes early. It might right. show up 10 minutes late. But either way, if you miss it, you're waiting another 40 minutes. Until mm-hmm. No, definitely. I, now, I remember taking the 23 and sometimes what would happen is, and I don't know if this happened on the 86, but like the driver would like get out and like go into McDonald's and get something to eat. Just like leave the bus, people on the bus waiting to get where they got to go, but they got to get a McGriddle. Yes, and and my, they got to, they got to get their food and come back and, and you better not be mad about it either. Cause they'll put you out. <laughs> no, thanks. My, my bus driver will always, well, like it didn't, it didn't happen all the time, but he stopped. I had a few bus drivers stop and like get out and walk and like go get some chicken wings and mm-hmm. like come back. They would like mm-hmm. walk to the gas station. Yep. Oh man, <laughs> that's a very particular just Atlanta transit thing. That <laughs> it's funny. I I yeah, think about that, and I just I just get like a warm feeling, like nostalgia. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's like i said like it's ridiculous it's like what what is like yeah like, it, just, it just is atlanta it just is like you know that journey yeah what's the best advice you've ever been given about design i would say like for where i'm at right now the best advice i was given was not too long ago i was talking to eddie opar you know like just trying to like take advantage of like the situation i'm in i'm like okay I, i've, I've got to like meet this man. I was like, okay. We just kind of had a conversation and I told him like where I was at, kind of like what I was talking about earlier, like how I feel like I'm just like in this space where I'm trying to figure out like what's next. Like what, what do I want to keep doing or like, how do I keep moving forward? And Mm -hmm. what he told me was that like, what you have to do as a designer is kind of like figure out what your voice is. You, you spend all this time, learning the building blocks, learning the technical things like, oh, how do I use After Effects? How do I use InDesign and all this kind of stuff? But like sometimes you can get kind of lost in in that and not realize that you have like a way of expressing yourself, like you have a voice. And I feel like I do those things, but I don't have like like my own world that I've built out, like a vision for like how people just like immediately like, oh, like Jordan made this. You know, like this speaks to his sensibilities. I'm very much more so in the kind of like production stage of where I'm at right now. So I think that was something that uh, was really helpful to me. You know, he like was talking about how, you know, like you, you kind of have to pick what means the most to you. So like, is it like about paying it forward in that, in which case maybe you like do a lot more kind of like teaching or instructing, or is it about like expressing the essence of what we do in that case you might do a lot more like forums and ted talk type things but it was really helpful just like figuring out what means the most to you and how do you like make that known to people what is your identity as a designer that's really good advice yeah next time you talk to eddie tell him i said what's up okay yeah i should, uh, <laughs> I should see him so so I'll, okay. I'll, I'll tell him yeah what is it that keeps you motivated and inspired these days? I think what keeps me the most motivated is just that, like, I just, 
I know there's so much more coming. There are a myriad of things that have like gotten me to this point, like the music I love, the artwork I love. Like I'm constantly like making mood boards on Arena or Pinterest of like things that I think other people are doing and that are cool and they push me forward. But I think the things that the thing that keeps me the most kind of hopeful for like what's coming in the future is that I know I have like a place and I know that I'm in control of it ultimately. And like, I just have to keep going forward and seeing what's next, looking for those new opportunities. What more do you want to see from the design community? I feel like you are at this like very unique place as not only just a young designer, but also a young designer at a place that has such a storied reputation, I would say. Mm-hmm. What do you want to see more of from the design community? I want to see more uh, black people. I want to see more of, more of me, more of us. I just want to see more of it. I think that, you know, we're such a creative people, like, like our influence is so ridiculous. And like, I think that when you think about that in like the grand scope, the the statistics around like how many people of color are like or how many black people are designing is like so disproportionately low when i think about like the kind of impact we have on like the sway of things in american culture i think that also something that i want to see more of is just based on my background and i guess a little bit of like just like being around my mom all the time is i want to see more people designing at earlier ages i want like the kind of stuff like introduced to kids earlier and earlier i think with the onset of the internet and like you know, like TikTok and all those kind of things. I think it's becoming a little more standardized at like earlier ages and like younger and younger kids are getting into it. But like I did a, a talk for my mom's elementary school a few months ago, just kind of like introducing them to what design is and the amount of like feedback I got from not only the the kids, but the teachers that like didn't know that it was an option like and we're just so blown away about like the possibility of like what design is and what it can do i think that just needs to continue happening where do you see yourself in the next five years like what kind of work do you want to be doing in the next five years i want to be doing more work that speaks to who i am i wanted to speak to my interests i wanted to impact the people that i care about the most i wanted to continue to be as proud of my work as I am right now. Like I feel like I'm I'm really proud of what I do, but it also isn't a hundred percent mine. So I think that's where I see myself in five years. Just like really taking more ownership of my designs and applying them to what means most to me. Well just to kind of wrap things up here, where can our audience find out more information about you and about your work and everything online? You can find me on Instagram at Jiggy Jord. It's J-I-G-G-Y J-O-R-D. I have a website. It's a keyword Jord. K-E-Y W-O-R-D J-O-R-D. Other than that, I mean, I have an arena page. I, I enjoy that a lot. I've been really getting into that. Do you use arena at all? This was back in like 2019, 2020. I worked with a designer this really cool ass dude named Persian. We used to work at Glitch together. He kind of turned me on to Arena at first because he was using it kind of like as a sketchbook of sorts. I've never used it outside of that though. Like, what is it like? So to me, it's like a cooler Pinterest. I find a lot of like br- like design inspiration on there visually. 
But I see all kind of people doing different things on here. I've seen entire like mood boards that are just full of random ideas. Okay. Um, I've seen kind of like tons of people making like video references, like motion references, entire like mood boards that are just like free typefaces. It's a pretty, I mean, I enjoy it a lot. It's a little kind of like grungy and underground, but that speaks to kind of like the kind of stuff I like. So I'll have to, I'll have to check it out. What's your name on Arena? It's just uh, Jordan Taylor. I think that's the best way to find me on here. That's the other thing. It's a little hard to discover people <laughs> on this thing, but I'll message you. And if anybody else has any trouble finding me, they can let me know, I guess, on Instagram or something. All right. Sounds good. Jordan Taylor, I want to thank you so, so much for coming on the show. I really wanted to have like a young Atlanta designer on the show. I know you're not in Atlanta anymore, but like, I think just your story of quiet perseverance and drive from growing up to going to school and even like pursuing these internships. I think that's something that a lot of people out here need to see because I think we see enough of the alternative, which is I went to this fancy art school and now I went to this fancy agency or whatever. I think people see enough of the alternative and don't see like Mm -hmm. the folks out here that are like quietly grinding. And I get the sense that like you've really been quietly grinding, building your portfolio, improving your skills. And that's gotten to where you are now at Pentagram of all places. I can't wait to see what you do in five years, man. I'm really going to be keeping an eye out for you. So Thank you so much for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Oh, yeah. Thank you so much. I mean, this has been incredible. I appreciate it. Big, big thanks to Jordan Taylor. And of course, thanks to you for listening. You can find out more about Jordan and his work through the links in the show notes at revisionpath.com. Revision Path is brought to you by Lunch, a multidisciplinary creative studio in Atlanta, Georgia. This podcast is created, hosted, and produced by me, Maurice Cherry, with engineering and editing by RJ Basilio. Our intro voiceover is by Music Man Dre, with intro and outro music by Yellow Speaker. Transcripts are provided by Brevity and Wit. This episode of Revision Path is also brought to you by Hover. Building your online brand has never been more important, and that begins with your domain name. Show the online community who you are and what you're passionate about with Hover. With over 400-plus domain extensions to choose from, including all the classics and fun niche extensions, Hover is the only domain provider I use and trust. Go to hover.com forward slash revision path and get 10% off your first purchase. So what did you think of the interview? Better yet, what do you think about the podcast overall? As always, we would love to hear from you, so hit us up on social media. We're on both Twitter and Instagram. Just search for Revision Path, all one word. Or you can leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, on Amazon Music, or on Spotify. The more people you tell about the show, the bigger we become, and the further we can extend our reach to talk to Black designers, developers, artists, and other digital creatives from all over the world. As always, thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.